0: and welcome to episode 94 the alfred williams episode my favorite player of all time of mcchesney unchained on dnbr.com Make sure you go check out everything DNVR related, DNVR underscore sports on Twitter. Uh, it's an incredible follow. Get down to the bar when everything gets back to normal. Uh, off of Colfax, it's an incredible place. I am your host, Matt McChesney, as always. Episode 94 is going to rock, and it, it's going to be to the point uh, because that, that's the way it's gotten here on the front range uh, when it comes to, to football. That's for damn sure. Um, we have a big show for you today. We've got Cody Rourke joining us today. Join us to talk about your Denver Broncos. He's the host of uh, Locked on the Broncos and the contributor for Pro Football Network. He does a bunch of film breakdown. We'll talk about your Denver Broncos and, and get his opinion on a whole bunch of different topics. And uh, we'll also talk about the NFL as a whole to a point. Uh, the playoff picture is starting to come clear. There's no more undefeated in the NFL as Pittsburgh uh, had an inexplicable loss yesterday to the Washington football team. Um... But we're going to start with college football right off the bat, and, uh, and we're going to get straight into it. So episode 94, McChesney Unchained, rolls. All right, so college football. Uh, you, first of all, UNLV quarterback uh, Max Gilliam is going to die from high-fiving, um, and apparently he had to, he had to uh, apologize for his parents being super loaded, um, going on a yacht, and being part of a reality TV show where he's eating sushi off of a naked model stripper hot chick. And he had to apologize for this. His girlfriend was there with him, like, sitting next to him on the yacht. He had to rent the yacht. You know how expensive it is to rent a yacht? Expensive. Um, why does he have to apologize for this again? I mean, this he's going to die from my fighting, like I said, but... This is pretty weak that he has to apologize simply for doing something on TV that every man on earth, well, most men on earth would want to do. I mean, especially if you've got your girlfriend's permission, your wife's permission, you're probably eating that sushi. Uh, You're you're lucky he's not going after the tuna. Oh, Um, I'll probably have to apologize for that. Uh, But yeah, I think that UNLV is dog shit and you're you're talking about the quarterback eating sushi off of a naked chick. I don't think that he should be apologizing for this, but he's young, and I'm sure somebody got in his ear and was like, "Well, it's not cool that I didn't get to do that, so you have to apologize. Max, a little bit of a little advice from the big guy is uh, ask for permission, not for forgiveness, and you'll get a lot further in this life. All right, so college football as we roll. The top four remains the same, Uh, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame and Ohio State. It looks like Ohio State's going to get a chance to play for the Big Ten title, assuming Michigan can feel the team and they don't fire. Uh, uh, leading up to the game, boy, that's been a train wreck. Um, I wish there was a little bit more parity in college football, but at the same time, I like the playoff. I wish they would expand it uh, at this point. I don't think changing the system is going to go anywhere. The, the playoff is the right way, but I wish they would do eight or 10 teams, maybe do 10 and give the top two a bye. Just more teams and more opportunity. I understand some teams are going to get smoked. It is what it is. Some teams are going to pull upsets as well. So I'd like to see that happen down the road. It is what it is this year. You're going to have to just get stuck with it seems like the same four teams over and over and over again. Although LSU won last year, and they hadn't been uh, to the playoff ever up to that point. So it is what it is. Um, rivalry week, another rivalry weekend this weekend. So a lot of big games. I anticipate... Those same undefeated teams will be undefeated moving into conference championship Saturday. Um, so let's just talk about CU. All right, so CSU right off the bat, they take an L to San Diego State. Good game, lose by six. I do like what Adazio's doing up there. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Their season's pretty much over. They got, I think, one more week and it's a wrap. Hopefully they can get more eligible and win three games. Um, Colorado goes down to Arizona and beats Arizona 24-13. Down 13-0 and they come back. That's huge, 24 unanswered. The defense really clamped down Arizona. Arizona's been a thorn in the side of CU for years, uh, 0-3 the last three years, and, and they've, been, they've been beating CU continuously since we joined the Pac-12 back in the day. Uh, Broussard goes off, goes for 301 yards rushing, the first 300-yard rusher since I was in school there with Chris Brown, in 0-2 at Kansas and Lawrence, or where I think he went for like 317 or some crazy-ass number. Um, Broussard is absolutely killing it. He's great at pushing front side and hitting that cut back. And that offensive line is absolutely murking people right now. It really doesn't seem to matter who plays center. Uh, they rotate 52 in there. He had an okay game. Uh, when, when they solidify the center position, when Austin, when Austin Johnson gets healthy and he's a, a redshirt freshman again next year, God, watch out for that offensive line. Um, Casey at, at Rod, Roderick, it's at guard number 70 is a pro he's absolutely murking people out there will sherman is on one philippe is on one you know big 74 we we take our hat off to your brother that sucks that's a hell of an injury uh so so hopefully you can recover from that but keenan ray is going to get his opportunity this weekend to start at left guard it looks like and he's a ucla transfer and if you remember he's the one that, that laid the hammer down on that big uh, stanford defense tackle at the goal line uh, to dub him and Philippe hit that double team where we had the walk-in touchdown uh, in week two. So Keenan can play, and he's about as nasty as they come, and I'm excited to see 54 get his opportunity on the offensive line. Uh, I think this weekend against Utah is a massive opportunity for CU as they're ranked 21 in the AP and 22 in the coaches. It's good, good to be undefeated. It's good to be ranked. Um, it's good to be playing in the bowl games. The Pac-12 only has four bowl games now with the LA Bowl now getting axed. Uh, until 2021 so i would like to think that if they stay on this role beating utah five and oh playing for the pac-12 title maybe we'll talk about that here in a second um but they're they're looking like they may play in a new year's day game or or uh one of the big six um cu's defense has been absolutely elite uh if you look at this 24 points a game second in the pac-12 giving up and then wales and landman They've combined for 20 TFLs up to this point, 15 and a half in the last two games. Lehman has literally been over the field. I think he's by far the best linebacker in, in, in college football. And I hope that the East Coast bias and the SEC bias doesn't uh, doesn't push him out of the running for the buckets. Although, I, I think at this point... The other night when you saw him, they're screenshotting him. He's got the, you know, the two bumps on his forehead that are bleeding, his knees bleeding. You know, he's just a baller. He's, a, he's just a, an absolute baller and the kind of guy you want. And honestly, if he's there at the beginning of the second round, I'm hoping Denver loses out so they can get high picks. You see, if he's there at the beginning of the second round, Denver really needs to think about taking Nate Lambin and putting him at the, at the linebacker uh, next to Johnson and rolling. Uh, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, <clears throat> Look, they're two point favorites for Utah on Friday night. UCLA and USC play. That's a huge rivalry game. Go Bruins. Um, look, man, I'm pretty damn spiced up about this problem. And, and let, let's be real. We're going ranting style right off the bat here on episode 94. The Unchained rant hits you right in the face right off the bat, buffs you. Let me just be blunt here. The fact that there's potentially USC and CU are not going to play for the South title, and SC is because they're ranked higher, is going to get an opportunity to play a two-loss, potentially a two-loss team if Washington and Oregon, they play this weekend. The winner of that game goes to the Pac-12 title game. Oregon already has two losses. Washington has one. Oregon wins therein. A two-loss team that could be potentially unranked is going to go play USC, and USC is going to go because they dodge CU. And CU could potentially be 5-0 and and ranked and not get that opportunity to play. And the, the Pac-12 already came out and said today that they will not, under any circumstance, tell the North that they can't play for the Pac-12 title because that could have been the easiest way to solve the problem just have USC and CU playing the Pac-12 title game if they're both undefeated and ranked and there's and the 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 northern participant has potentially two losses and unranked but of course that doesn't make sense because Larry Scott's the commissioner and he's a douchebag and and he can't he's just there he's not there making decisions he's there just going with the flow somebody from Oregon and Washington complained and that's that I, look, man, I, I already despise the Pac-12. This could be another time where, you know, CU is getting screwed. And and SC, if they end up going to play for the Pac-12 title and they win and they're undefeated and they play in the Rose Bowl, or, or I guess it would be Fiesta because the Rose is one of the playoff games this year, I hope that they at least put CU and SC in the Fiesta Bowl against each other. I hope we get an opportunity to play this game at some point. I hope that, that people that can actually make decisions and and get out there and make this happen go make it happen because I, I personally think that see you could go undefeated this year and win their bowl game. SC wins the Pac-12 and the South, and CU's undefeated and didn't get a chance to play them. That really burns my ass. It really does. And this is the year that we got them in the crosshairs. Big time, man. Defense is salty. We can run the ball down anyone's throat. SC is overrated, in my opinion. They dodged us once. You know, I understand you can't move the UCLA and Utah games. They can't play each other. I mean, they could, but they're not going to because UCLA and SC are rivals. I just – I wish that they would figure this out and figure out a way for these two programs to play, especially being undefeated. Uh, it's going to be a Travis – potentially undefeated teams in the Pac-12 uh, at the end of the season. I mean, and they don't play each other? That is absolute horseshit, Larry Scott. Horseshit Pac-12. It really burns my ass. I Look, do I think CU is going to beat Utah? Yeah, I do. I think Utah's a good team. They struggle at the quarterback position. If Neuer protects the football and we don't turn it over, we play good defense at home, I think they beat Utah. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be a nail-biter, trust me. But CU's got them at home. I think they can get that W as long as they keep knowing what they're doing, especially running the ball. UCLA can absolutely beat SC. They've been scoring points like crazy. Robinson, the, the quarterback, is a dude. I've been talking to Coach Fry, the offensive coordinator at UCLA, a bunch. He's a good friend of mine and recruits the hell out of this room. And, you know, they're pretty jazzed up to get to get uh, SC. I, they think that they can go beat them. So um, I'm a huge Bruins fan this weekend, and every Buff fan out there should be pulling for UCLA big time. And then to see you can get that WC is going to play for the big for the Pac-12 title, uh, probably against Washington. I think Washington get get the Ducks this weekend. So everybody, keep uh, keep those positive feelings going towards Boulder Way and keep that team undefeated. Carl Durrell, brother, you have done an absolutely amazing job. Easily the Pac-12 coach of the year. And I'm surprised he's not getting more recognition for National Coach of the Year. They end up undefeated and winning the Pac-12 and maybe playing in the fiesta ball. Trust me, he's, he's going to get that kind of recognition going his way. And the good thing is Carl's not going to jump sip in the middle of the night for just a little bit more money and perceive better opportunity, which it sure as hell didn't turn out that way, did it, Mel Tucker. So, uh, that said, uh, go Buffs. I hope that they mop the floor with the Utes. It's still not a rivalry in my eyes yet, but but – but, you know, it, it, it's definitely turning into one as the game seem to mean more as, the, as we go down the line. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but that is the Unchained Rant on McChesney Unchained Episode 94. And we roll into the National Football League. All right. Like I said, Cody Rooker is going to join us here on McChesney Unchained Episode 94 to talk about your Denver Broncos down the line. Uh, I wanted to talk about the NFL here for a little bit as we get going uh, before we get into your Denver Broncos. Now, look, man. I... The National Football League is the, – the refs are driving me up the wall with damn near every game these days. It seems like there's a lot of games that are being dictated, a lot of third downs and a lot of red zone opportunities that are dictated by refs on really ticky tack fouls. And that's too bad. And it seems like that that's the direction we're going to go down in the playoffs too. Very similar to – what was it, three years ago where we had the Rams defensive back absolutely run over – the New Orleans receiver and it was a total defensive pass defense. It wasn't called whereas you're getting other penalties in that game and, and games similar that are called on ticky tack, you know, just little tiny grabs or phantom penalties. The the phantom uh uh roughing the passer penalties out here. There's got they've got to figure out how to minimize this, but still do the job. During the playoffs, because it's getting to the point where I'm a, I'm afraid that playoff games are going to be dictated by the refs more so than the guy than the players on the field. All right, look, the the Steelers take their first loss in the AFC. They're still the one seed, although I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City takes the one seed from them. Kansas City gets another win. Tennessee and Cleveland play. Cleveland beats the bricks off the off the Titans at home. Cleveland, can they take that on the road? Or, you know, does that travel? Uh, the Raiders get a big win against the winless Jets. It looked like the Jets were going to pull it out, and the Raiders pull it out. They stay in playoff contention. Buffalo goes to Arizona to beat the Niners, pretty much sealed their fate in the NFC. They get another win. Miami gets another win. The AFC's rolling. Um, it, it, The AFC is deep, and, you know, the, the Colts get another win. There's The seventh seed could have 11 wins this year. So the AFC is going to be an absolute – plug fest in the playoffs i love the the extra playoff game this year especially in the afc uh with with all those teams going head to head three games on one day that's going to be kick ass so we'll, we'll see what happens over the next four weeks and how it pans out um you know kansas city's the best team in the afc period Pittsburgh may be the best defensive team in the AFC, but Kansas City is the best team, and they got the best player in the league. And we're going to talk about that with Cody Rourke as we talk about Broncos Chiefs and the Broncos losing their 11th straight to their hated rival, Kansas City. If you look at the NFC, the Giants showed me something this weekend going to. Uh, Seattle winning on the road and just absolutely just dominating the Seahawks in in the trenches on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Ugly game, ugly score, doesn't matter. Russell Wilson is pretty much contained. They do a good job of bracketing D.J. Metcalf and keeping him on the line of scrimmage and really pissing him off to the point where he's more worried about violent stiff arms than, than, you know, the hot route adjustments. There were a couple times where he missed that. Uh, Seattle, looks like that they're kind of imploding a little bit right now. It's teams are figuring out that if you punch them in the mouth, you can play with them. Um, they're going to have to figure out how to run the ball consistently and not just rely on Russell, Williams, Russell Wilson deep shots to make Kath and Lockett and more. Um, their defense has been playing better, but they've been playing against worse offensive teams, and they just lost to Colt McCoy. It's not like they had Danny Dimes up there dropping them. Colt McCoy got his first win in, what, like seven, eight years. Good for him, but... Seattle can't lose that game when they're in the middle of a division race. The Rams went out and got a W. They beat the the Cardinals. The Cardinals have lost, what, five of six. Uh, and the one win in that, in that array, for four of six, five of six, something like that, the one win in there was the Hail Mary. So that ain't good. It looks like the people have figured them out a little bit. But this is the nature of the NFL. There's a ton of parity. Uh, and that's why I wish going full circle, the rest would just butt out of it and let the players dictate you know, the game more than the refs. Um, I I like the Rams in the NFC at this point with four weeks to play. I think that L.A. is is nasty on defense. Man, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in football, and he has been for the last two or three years. You don't triple-team this dude, and he's going to ruin your weekend. That's for damn sure. I I think that he allows everybody else to really maximize themselves as well because they're all winning one-on-ones consistently. Jalen Ramsey is that dude. Uh, it looks like that combination of Ramsey and Darnold, if they, look, I'm telling you, they find a dominant Mike linebacker and a guy that's a name like a Ray Lewis, that type of player, and you've got the combination of a great player at each level, of the line of scrimmage, just like Baltimore had in every, every single Super Bowl and great defense they had with Baltimore, and most great defenses throughout time. You have a great front, a great defensive line player a great linebacker and a great secondary player and look Ed Reed Ray Lewis uh Peter Boulware or 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 uh Terrell Suggs and you look at like the the 15 Broncos and Vaughn, any and and, and you know, Ward or Talib, or I mean that list goes on and on the no flies almost full of dudes, Chris Harris Jr. so you know it, it's When you're looking at the dynamic of the defenses, they have good players at the linebacker level in LA, but they don't have great ones. And if they find one, they're going to be even scarier than they are. Um, The Packers get a good win over Philly. Philly is totally imploded. I don't think you fire Doug Peterson. I don't think you you get rid of Carson Wentz. Even if you need to figure out what's going on with Jalen Hurts, that's fine. He drafted the kid, play him, figure it out. That's all well and good. But – but I think that look, look. If Philly wants to pull the the ripcord on Carson Wentz right now, I'll take him in Denver. Quick, send him our way. We'll send you a fifth or a sixth round draft pick. We'll eat the we'll eat the the. A contract for the next two or three years that he's on, competition for Drew Lock, and that guy can come in and hopefully Denver can build a defense and a, a system around him that can benefit Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is stuck behind the worst offensive line in of football. They've got good names on the O-line. They did, but everyone's hurt. Lane Johnson's out. Kelsey can't play with everybody who's out around him. They've got two young guys playing on the tackles who are getting beat like Cherokee drums. The left guard in, in the game the other night was just getting Merck. Uh, I don't like the play calling from Doug Peterson, but he's between a rock and a hard place because he has no receivers to throw the ball to Denver skill position players and their offensive line uh, looking ne- definitely looking at next year. And then moving forward is head and shoulders better than what they have in Philadelphia. I think that it could be a benefit if Wentz were to go that route. I'm just saying, if they want to get rid of him this fast, I'm sure that there's a lot of teams out there that would be open arms, and Denver's one of them, especially from a competition standpoint. We'll obviously talk about that with Cody Rourke when he joins us here on Episode 94 of Chain. Unchained. Uh, so – the NFC, the NFC's got some great teams. I, I still, you know, I still like New Orleans. They play great defense. DeMar, uh, or, or, or Davis, the middle linebacker, is absolute monster on the field. He's been killing people all year. Tampa Bay's going to sneak in and play on the road the opening week. I'm telling you, babe, don't sleep on Tom Brady in the playoffs. That's all I'm saying. I'm very eager to see what he looks like as a true – for maybe the first time in his in – his, Elite career. I'm not talking about when he was a rook and he just happened to catch fire with a really good defensive team and Bill Belichick. I'm talking about legit underdog status. He wins this opening round playoff game, and maybe they go to New York and he wins that game against a seven or eight win Giant team, and they have to go on the road against the Packers in Lambeau. They have to go on the road again in New Orleans. You know how hard it is to beat a team three times? So I think sleeping on Tom Brady would be idiotic. And trust me, there's people that are going to do it. This is the way it goes. So I think there's a ton of potential for great playoff games. Um, I don't think you're going to see a lot of ass beatings, which is a good thing. Um, But again, full circle, man, the refs really need to get their shit together and stop with the ticky tack pass interference calls, the ticky tack illegal contact calls. They're really, really bad, roughing the passer calls. The guys are trying their best to roll off and What do you want them to do? Blow them a kiss? You want them to write them a note? Be like, I sacked you. Yes, no, or maybe. I mean, circle one of the three. What the fuck? So it, it doesn't – they don't need to just pussify the game as much as they are. I understand that they've allowed the violence – to be dictated out and i'm i'm okay with that to a point at least i got to play in an era where you could tattoo somebody and they high five you instead of find you um but but uh i think the game can be played at a very at a violent level and still and still like refed correctly they need to let these guys Every time somebody gets hit hard, it's not a penalty. The shoulder is not the helmet. I see it consistently. They need to start doing a better job of looking at that play the way that they look at turnovers. Every time there's a targeting call, look at the call. Don't just – everybody at home can see it with shoulder. They're not leaning with the head. It's it's amazing to me that the replay process is not caught up with the viewer. I mean, it hasn't even caught up with the viewer yet. you got to be kidding me with this shit. So, again, the rest need to figure this out. The playoffs, AFC and NFC, both sides are going to be awesome, except for, of course, the one NFC East team that's going to sneak in there and keep potentially a 10-win team in the NFC out of the playoffs. I wonder if they'll ever really look at that because there's such a premium put on in every single meeting room I've ever been in. In the National Football League, there's such a massive premium put on winning your division. I really doubt that they'll ever just go like record uh, because then it, it doesn't matter. I mean, who, who gives a shit? New York's been out it forever, whereas now they're literally fighting for a playoff spot. and They're the only team that has that opportunity in that division. I'm not saying they're the only one. That could win. I'm saying they're the only team that has that opportunity around the NFL. Them and Washington, and even Dallas is still in it. So if that that makes it very unique when you're talking about divisions. So I doubt they'll ever change that. But again, uh, I, I think the playoffs have a chance to be elite, to say the least. So we're gonna bring on my good friend Cody Rook here. Uh, remember, you can follow Cody at. At Cody Work NFL on Twitter, and he's the host of Locked Out, Locked On the Broncos, and a contributor for Pro Football Network. Our guest here, Cody Work, joins us on episode 94 of McChesney Unchained. It's my honor and pleasure to bring on my good friend and the host of Locked On the Broncos, contributor for Pro Football Network. Follow him on Twitter at Cody Work NFL. Mr. Cody Rourke joins us here on McChesney Unchained, episode 94, joining the big guy to talk about uh, your Denver Broncos and our, you know, our almost win and our 11th straight loss to the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. And, uh, Cody, how are you, brother? Welcome to the show, and I'm glad you could take some time today to, uh, to talk to Broncos Country about their love affair with Drew Locke
1: absolutely matt thank you so much for having me love what you're doing here i love the unfiltered version i mean that's that's the way i want to be at times so i live vicariously through you and uh yeah anytime we get to you know talk about the broncos the state of denver what's going on i I think it's a great opportunity to continue to talk about some of the bigger topics that broncos fans are very interested in
0: so let me ask you this right off the bat i love your film breakdowns and the, the one you did to Shelby Harris running on an angle was outstanding. I'm a huge I, – I talk to my defensive guys about this all the time. Uh, if you don't pursue the football, you're you're a scrub. You you know, it's going to show up on tape eventually. Offense and defense, you need to chase the ball. Why is it and, – and look, I'm huge on effort. I love it. Why don't we see this kind of effort from everybody all the time instead of just highlighting it so much on one dude? He ran wow. by three or four guys there.
1: <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, he backtracked. I mean, I believe he was lined up in a three technique initially, took a step inside the A gap and then saw he'll go three tech off.
0: backside.
1: Yep. And he just he took the the perfect angle in terms of pursuit. And, you, you know, you see that and you wonder, well, how come other guys aren't given that effort? I, I think it really depends. I mean, this is where football is so intricate, Matt, and you know this as well as I do. You can have 10 guys that want it really bad, but if one guy doesn't want it that bad, it could affect everybody, right? And so I, I think it's also the outlier where you look at Shelby on this play, backtracking against Tyreek Hill, the fastest dude in the National Football League. And Shelby prevents the touchdown from happening because the Broncos, they broke down. They didn't take great angles in terms of Kareem Jackson. He ran into Michael Ojemudia saying bass. He got too far to the outside. And so Tyreek Hill had that sideline, but yeah, I mean, I think overall if you can get guys to play consistently, 11 guys, and it goes back to that Broncos defense in 2015, that was a group of 11 guys that I felt like everybody had the effort and that dog in them. You got to have that consistently to be successful in the NFL.
0: And the, the accountability level in 2015, everybody respected Wade, but they were accountable to each other, not necessarily a coach. I mean, I, I had to watch the game in Spanish, unfortunately, and then that made it interesting, to say the least. Um, but it, it, was, <laughs> it was kind of fun, to be completely honest with you. It was way more exciting than Chris Collinsworth, I'll tell you that. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Let, let me get your opinion on this real quick, okay? Drew Locke. I've been hearing a lot and I, you know, there's, there's two sides here. There's the side in Denver with the media and fans that, yeah, he's not playing well, but they think he's going to be great and we just need to be patient. And then there's the side and this is the side that I reside on where he's, he's not just playing bad. He's getting us beat and he's putting Denver in position where again, it's, it doesn't matter how good their defense plays or if they run the football because of the situation the quarterback puts them in. Where do you fall on this?
1: Yeah, it's really hard to kind of figure out where I really lie. I mean, I kind of see – I can see from both sides. I do believe that Drew Locke, I mean, he has not lived up to the expectation. I think everybody has hope from him, right? I mean, you can talk about the flashes that Drew has, but the flashes are flashes. You know, the, the things that he's doing well aren't helping the Broncos enough more so – then the things he's not doing so well are hurting them. He's putting them in, in more inopportune positions. The the first interception of the evening. I mean, he just had a great play to Noah Fant down the left sideline in a one on one against Breland, oh, sure. and he follows it up by not even seeing Nick Vanette, who is a safe dump off option when Fumagalli turns it to an out and up. He doesn't put enough air on it, and it's not. It's a very risky throw. So I would say his decision making. You know, to be I, I don't know if the Broncos are going to move forward from Drew Lock after the season. His play has not been what anybody has hoped for. Probably not. Not even himself, but it's evident. Denver needs to bring in at least some competition in 2021. I mean, I don't think you can enter 2021 fully invested in saying, hey, Drew Locke is the guy we're going to roll with in 2021. We're going to give him another year. I don't know if Denver can afford that luxury there.
0: And hey, Cody, I was just talking about this to myself uh, a little bit earlier before we brought you on. Um, the Carson Wentz in Philly or another guy like him, like a Matt Stafford situation is different, but you look at Carson Wentz and they may run him out of Philadelphia. And yeah. if they were to run him out, he's the kind of guy where Denver, you trade a fifth or a sixth rounder for him and take that, that contract on there's your competition and can't legit competition. We're not just saying it's competition, but it's going to go to one guy, a, a bona fide starter, a guy who was in an MVP race, and then a a kid who's had a ton of opportunity who can't figure it out, maybe this is the kind of pressure he needs. I'm of the mindset that Drew Locke doesn't doesn't possess it mentally. I never see him walk up to the line of scrimmage and might point the most dangerous defender. He never walks up and takes his time with the play clock to, to kind of dictate to the defense and see what they're doing with false calls. It's either we're late to the line of scrimmage because he has a hard time getting the play call in, or he's up there and he's rushing it with 20 seconds left and not exploiting the opportunity he has to view. The play clock, in my opinion, is an opportunity to go up and go, hey, white night, white hot, huh? Easy, easy, easy. Hey, 57's the mic. Louis, 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 squeeze gap. You know, all those little things that people don't see, that people don't understand. That's what makes great quarterbacks great or average or or, or terrible. What is the, why can't the quarterbacks in Denver take what they're being taught in the meeting room and take it to the field? I watched Ripon do it this year. I watched him do it against Tampa when he came in off the bench. I watched him do it against the Jets. I've, I watched Simeon do it a couple of times, but not consistently. Why can't they do it? What What's the breaking point, Cody?
1: yeah you know i think it's hard to really find the the definitive nfl quarterback you look at aaron Rodgers, you look at russell wilson patrick mahomes even on sunday patrick mahomes would, hey cover zero cover zero wait roll that back roll that back and it forced the broncos defense to say do we change back to the front that we were initially in pre-snap because denver they'll line up initially and then they'll move right before the the snap happens which is i i love that about them defensively but for drew lock i mean absolutely there's we haven't seen it he's just under center hike and it's, it's like madden it, it reminds me a lot of madden you're not really doing too much audibling, but even to your point to Brett Rippon Brett Rippon's the guy that doesn't have the arm strength but he has the mental capacity to run in offense Drew Locke has the physical traits but I think for him he lacks the mental processing as you had mentioned yet you can't wait and hope that it comes along you you can't play you know safeguard you can't safeguard him you got to make sure that you have a plan look if, if Drew Locke can't do the things that the coaches are asking him to do and he can't do it consistently Vic Fangio said it yesterday Drew has got to cut down on the interceptions. He's got to cut down on the poor decisions. If you cannot consistently do that, if you can't turn in these performances, you can't have as much time to be an NFL quarterback. I'm sorry, the the life, the shelf life is just not there. So I, I agree with you 110%. I think that's really the dilemma we run into. Drew has the physical tools, but we're seeing so much inconsistency with his mental processing that it's hurting his ability to maybe be the guy going forward.
0: So what, a change at offensive coordinator again and a change at head coach? I'm of the mindset that I don't understand how Vic Fangio keeps his job. I don't see them beating Carolina. I don't see them beating Buffalo and the, who they have, the Raiders and who else?
1: Then they have Chargers, the chargers and Bills. So it's, it's chargers, a tough road. Chargers, Bills,
0: Raiders, Carolina. I mean, I, I don't see them winning any of those games. The Chargers are going to be pissed off trying to after they blew the game in Denver, although they got waxed on Sunday. That's going to be for maybe the third pick or the fourth pick. Okay, so where do you sit on this then? Do you really want them to go win two of the next four? Or is it – I mean, I'm not saying I want them to tank. They can go compete. I know Shelby Harris is saying everybody's playing for their job, and that's awesome. I'm with all that. But but four and 12 and an opportunity to get Fields or Trevor Lawrence or one of these dudes at the top of the draft, that's appealing to me. It's way more appealing than beating Carolina.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, And this is where I ask myself too, because I think about this as well. If Denver is in a position to take one of those guys, yes, I think it, when it comes to a talent like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, I would say that's an easy decision to make. Like if, if they're available, you have to take one of those two players there, which we know that Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be gone one overall, unless he decides to magically declare to go back to Clemson. Uh, but Justin Fields is that next guy. Now, I think the quarterbacks behind them, that's where I'm a little bit skeptical as to would I risk taking another quarterback if it's not any of those two guys? That's where I'd probably go with the more veteran option route at QB. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, Carolina, everybody projected them to be the number one overall pick in this upcoming year's draft based on how young they were, the rebuild that they have. They have competed. They have a young defense and they are flying around very ferociously. Jeremy Chin playing really good football for them. Christian McCaffrey's back in the fold for them this week. And then it doesn't get any easier because then you play the Buffalo Bills, who are red hot right now. They're eating everybody up. They're playing physical, smash mouth, offensive football. Josh Allen's playing better than we expected. Then you play the Chargers. Like I mentioned, you, you know they want that revenge, and it's on the road. This is a game where Chris Harris Jr. will more than likely play in that game too, so motivation there. And then a tough Raiders football team that they just have weapons galore, and they have a physical style of running the football. And You're an offensive line guy. They love getting nasty in the trenches, and I feel like a lot of the issues that Denver has had this year You had moments where Denver could dominate in the trenches. Then you have moments where they go series, two series, three series of getting pushed back. And I I think that's really just the, the the ebb and flow of the NFL and this Broncos season is they've got to find a way to really put it together. They can compete. Like you mentioned, can they win? I mean, I think they have a chance to win, but at this point you're evaluating where do you see yourself? That to me, I think is where you have to look at it from the Broncos side of things.
0: All right, Cody. So look, man, it, it It gets to the point where we're beating this drum with Vic Fangio and Pat Schumer, and I'm not trying to be an ageist or anything, but the older school generation of the NFL, Schumer and Fangio were coaching in the NFL when I was in the league. I know they can coach. No one's saying they can't. I know they can. I know they can coach at a high level. I know Vic Fangio's an all-pro defensive coordinator. I know Schumer has been a head coach and has done everything. I'm not sitting here questioning that. I'm saying, is it time, not necessarily because Vic needs to go or Pat needs to go, is it time for the Broncos to look at themselves in the mirror from the front office perspective and go, young, offensive-minded head coach that can absolutely and unequivocally relate to Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Drew Locke, that can bring some of these college schemes in that puts pressure on defenses. I saw Andy Reid acclimate to do it. I don't think Vic can. The guy won't even go for it on the plus side of the 40 against the most explosive offense in NFL history. So I don't think he has the ability to change in that regard. So, so at what point does Denver need to look at the cells in the mirror and go, we got to change. It's either acclimate or die. And, yeah. and I'm telling you right now, it looks like we're going the – Die road rather than the acclimate and learn how to survive through this. Yeah, you
1: know, yeah, I I think logistically you look at it. Vic is a defensive coach, and you can see some of the decisions he makes in games, particularly late that he operates with the thinking of a defensive coordinator, right? And so I think that the trend in the NFL, everyone wants these young explosive offenses. How do you get it, right? And I think the Broncos have the personnel to do it. I mean, if you're telling me that KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, Noel Fan, Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon, and Cortland Sutton when he comes back, and even Tim Patrick who's playing some of the best football of his career, if these guys can't be an explosive oh, offense, they've got, they've got the guys to do it. They've got the offensive line right now too. I got think that they can eventually be there. The question is, you know, with the way of thinking, do you operate from the defensive head coach mentality? Do you bring in a young guy? I think it's a gamble. And I think really for Denver, we're seeing last year when they decided to fire Rich Scangarello after the season, initially a week before they had said, look, we're, we're coming back with everybody there. I think it was a major gamble. We're not seeing it pay off never might have to do that, but I think that, that goes to a bigger question regarding the Broncos' ownership situation right now and, and the direction of the franchise. Do they really want to make a lot of changes right now with all of this? I feel like that's one of the biggest obstacles holding this team back, but no, I agree with you, Matt. You know, I think the appeal of having a young offensive mind, we all knew. Kyle Shanahan, that was going to be the key when, when the Broncos decided to part ways with Gary Kubiak. When Gary Kubiak stepped down, everyone was looking at Kyle Shanahan, and then we all know the story there. There was a veto by Joe Ellis. Right. So it's who is that next guy? I mean, if there is a guy in your mind, Matt, who do you think would be that young offensive minded head coach that you could look at in 2021?
0: Um, You know, I would take, I would take a really hard long look at Joe Brady at Carolina. I don't really care about the team record. I know what he can do up here have given the pieces and i love what he's done with McCaffrey. that offense is legit man they get after people i think carolina next year is going if he especially if he stays there they're going to be scary they're going to just get better and they're probably going to be you know looking at the playoffs and that that wild card in a great division um wow. i i like eric B. enemy but i don't think that he be should come to Denver I think you should stay away from Colorado and the roots and all that crap uh, people are it's going to be undue pressure and the minute he's not successful it's going to be Andy Reid had all the success and he doesn't know what he's doing and if he is successful uh, I just I would love for him to be the head coach here I think it would be awesome I, for some reason I just don't think it works um, and then after that they need to comb the college ranks because in my opinion it's hard to to evaluate coaches just based on records i yeah. think you need to evaluate how they their team and what they've done with certain personnel groupings and how they or not personnel groupings what they do with certain personnel just in general and then it, it, my my number one question for everybody that if i were interviewing them would be all situational football questions what are you doing pl- on the plus side of the 40. how many times are you actually going to punt as opposed to go for it inside fourth and five in competitive football games things of that. How do you, how do you look at the two minute situation? Is there's an opportunity for you to attack or are you uh, taking me with 42nd type? I think conservative coaching, conservative coaching doesn't have a place in modern day NFL anymore. I need, I need the gunslinger coach mentality because as a player, I can always, I can always go with the coach that walks in and goes, I believe in y'all. Frank Reich last year when they were one in five. Yeah. Was going for it on first fourth down they lost the game everybody was calling for his job and what happened his team totally turns around they make the playoffs they he's totally selling out for his guys and now they're a legit playoff contender and great defense and they got it's a destination people want to go there and play so I, I think that I think that looking at it like that is probably the way that they should do it now I don't think they will. I think that if Vic sticks around and I think we're going to be having the same conversation next year at the same damn time, unfortunately. And that just is what it is. All right, Cody. Yeah, I'm with you. Keep going, brother. What's
1: up? So with that, I wanted to actually throw something your way. You know, I love the work that you do in terms of the offensive line, your film reviews that you have as well. You break down a lot of stuff here. Now, early in the beginning of the season, we saw the Broncos' rookie center, Lloyd Cushenberry. You know, a lot of teams were lining up their defensive tackle in a zero technique. They were slanting across his face, sending the inside linebacker in the A-gap to try to occupy right there. What have you noticed from Lloyd Cushingberry? Have you seen any progression from him as to where he was at the beginning of the season to against the Kansas City Chiefs? Did he do anything better? Has he improved from week one?
0: I mean, yes, he's absolutely improved from week one, but he's also giving up more because people have tape on him too. Um, Lloyd Lloyd doesn't seem to understand the angles of football yet. He's just playing. He's making calls and doing his job The majority of the time, but he doesn't understand the little intricacies of the game and the angles and how much it can affect the way he steps the way his hands operate as the center. Okay, he has such an advantage on the nose tackle. He knows the snap count. He has independent hand transition. I never see him. Attack the Riddell of the middle of the helmet. I never see him attack the via the neck with his opposite hand. He should be snapping an opposite hand striking the via that neck constantly. I never see him pointing. The most dangerous. He's very rarely the point of communication rather than the echo. As the center, he needs to be the point of the communication with the quarterback, not the echo. And to be honest with you, when your quarterback doesn't know what the hell he's doing and he won't communicate and then you have a rookie center, I think that it's a very under, under-evaluated part of this season. And I know the Jets are 0-12 and Connor's my guy, and I don't mean to sound like a homer here. But McGovern and, and Locke played together at Missouri. They were boys. McGovern was his big brother, mentor guy at Missouri, and helped him with all that. He was a huge help with them last year in those last five. Because all the communication was being done through Connor and Drew, and Drew trusted him, and they got rid of him and brought in Glasgow for 16 million bucks, and I think he's been severely disappointing. And you draft a rookie center who doesn't know what the hell he's doing, and you don't help the quarterback learn the system and the terms, especially in Schumer's system, which is extremely term-oriented rather than just going in there and going, "Hey, why not uh, uh, trips right, tighten ISO, Sarah, Sarah." Uh, flip it to Sally if, ready, huh, and just roll. So I I think that's a very underrated part of this. And I think Lloyd has the potential to be great. I mean, he's got all the tangible skills you look for. He's long, he's big, he's got good feet. But the center is a thinking man's position, number one. So he's got to get that going in the offseason. He needs to find somebody. I'm right over here. But he probably won't come in. From what I hear, I'm too mean. Can you fucking believe that? (laughs) I'm too mean, Uh, so so that's why certain guys don't want to work, and that's fine. I'll work with the all pros that want to show up, like Ryan Jensen and Billy Turner and things of that nature. So I'd like like to see Denver hold on to the guys they develop, Cody, but we've talked about this several times, you know, just through text message, DM, and just talking. They never keep their guys that they develop. They constantly let their developmental projects go all the time. So yep. it, it's, it's, something that it's, a, it's something they have to fix up there first. And personally, I'd love to see a guy like Austin Slotman get more of an opportunity at center, assuming that Lloyd doesn't take the right direction. I, I hope he turns into the all pro he could be.
1: Yeah, no, and, we'll and I've been, and, and I agree with you there too. I think Austin Schlotman, he had a great training camp. He, you know, he really came in and he put on some weight. I mean, obviously, he's been working on his fundamentals too. He, he's just a guy that I think is piecing it together mentally as well. Right away, you know, you can see the processing for him. I mean, there's times he doesn't react. There was a play where uh, uh, Chris Jones was lined up in a one-tech. Actually, no, he's lined up in a three-tech, slanted across, and Schlotman did a great job of pushing him down, crashing him down, and then there was an opening right there for Phil Blinsey Off to the hit. Off hands, him. shoulder. Yes. Hit. Yep. Yep. It was great and I actually did that on my film review that's going to post tomorrow. But the one question I have for you as it pertains to the running game too. We, we see different success for Philip Lindsay sometimes and Melvin Gordon. What is the issue with Denver offensively with the running back position? Are they misutilizing Philip Lindsay in the style that he can because a lot of times I see them really trying to run him inside on on middle runs I don't feel like that's his strength I feel like power what we saw against the Miami Dolphins them getting the center and the guard to pull and to be able to kick out on the edge get a numbers advantage that's where we see Philip Lindsay have the most success what is your thought on that
0: yeah and and I agree with you on Schlotman too I think he's been doing a great job I've been working with Austin since he walked in as an undrafted free agent it's great to see him taking the steps he's taken it's awesome as a coach to see the what you teach applied um I work with Phil, too, and, and Phil's a vertical runner. Phil can stretch zone. He's one of the he, – he can do it great, and he's great on the cutback. But Phil wants to put his one foot in the ground and get vertical and attack you. And it's, Melvin Gordon's that same way, but Melvin Gordon is very Le'Veon Bellish in his I'm going to pick, 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 choose, and then he makes his decision. Phil's decision is made before he even gets the ball. It's how can I get vertical as fast as humanly possible. Personally, I think that the Broncos don't give themselves an opportunity, Cody, to be a great running football team because they don't commit to the damn run consistently. Yeah, bro, how many rushing yards did they have on Sunday night?
1: (laughs) I believe it was two hundred. Yeah, yeah, and it was those those spring runs they had. had One hundred and twelve in the
0: first quarter.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I I just
0: I'm of the mindset that. This, this, it's pass happy NFL. Everybody needs to throw the ball over the yard, blah, blah, blah. I think that in this, today's football, if you can control the time of possession and dominate the line of scrimmage and not give up on the run, just because it didn't work the first three or four carries of the game, you'll dominate football games. And personally, I think that Gordon and Lindsay, I don't care how it's split up minimum 45 rushing attempts a game, a game. Period. I I like it. And however you want to split it between Melvin and Phil, that's fine. I don't give a shit. But that gives you about 20 to 25 throws, which is perfect, and sets up huge shots and pocket movement and screens. You want want the run game to open up a little bit more? Learn how to run a goddamn screen pass in Denver. That screen pass they ran to Melvin the other night was excellent. The screen passes don't need to be crazy intricate. They don't need to be like all these different adjustments to receiver. Just basic middle screen to to the running back. Set it up correctly. Dip and dink the ball and let them turn a running play or turn a passing play into a running play, getting the ball behind the line of scrimmage, which is a pass. But it just allows him to be a running back first. That, it just builds confidence. So I think that that's one of the things that you'd like to see. But to be completely honest with you, Cody, and this is the last question I got for you here on, on episode 94 of Chesney Unchained, uh, huge thanks to my man Cody Ward for coming on the show today and, and spitting some fire and knowledge for your Denver Broncos. I don't think Phil Lindsay is going to be back here next year. I think these are the last four games you're going to see him. How do you feel about that? So we can talk about it all you want, but they – they made it very clear that Melvin Gordon is the guy.
1: Yeah, you know, I, th- I think for me, just seeing what Philip Lindsay has done his first two seasons, back-to-back thousand-yard rushing seasons. I mean, I-, I watched him in the first practice at training camp as an undrafted rookie free agent. He cuts up inside with Case Keenum. Breaks through the a gap. Doma Tapeco looks around like, "Hey, where did this guy go?" Brandon Marshall misses, and everyone's like, "Hey, that is our guy, right?" That that is a defense at the time. You had that guys guy. on that defense that were like, "Hey, this guy is talented. This guy is special." And then last season, we saw Phillip Lindsay literally climb his way to a thousand yards, fighting for every inch, even though that the, a lot of the opportunities weren't there. He was facing a lot of uh, you know being stuffed in the backfield, making things happen, even though that plays broke down on the interior. Philip Lindsay has done so much for Denver. And I think it also goes to the point, there is a narrative that Denver doesn't take care of its guys. And if they allow Philip Lindsay to go, if that is the case, if he's not back next year, it's a big travesty because he's going to go on to some other team. He's going to have massive success, probably bigger than what he's had in Denver. And he's going to be a premier guy in the national football league, more so than he already is now. He doesn't get enough respect in my opinion. I think from national media outlets, everyone wants to talk about Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's a great back. Don't get me wrong there, but Philip Lindsay has, in my opinion, earned the role. To be the guy in Denver, and it's all about surrounding him with the talent, being able to create opportunities for him to succeed, if they don't do that, then I I tell you what, it's a big loss, and and Denver will regret it one day.
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly, Cody. I think that they don't really know how to utilize him. And in that system, he's been underutilized in back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. So imagine what you can do with a guy who you're actually rolling with. All right, that is episode 94 of McChesney Unchained coming to you from the studio here at Six Zero 0 Strength. Uh, thank you to my man Cody Work for coming on the show. Remember, Cody is the host of Locked on the Broncos and contributor for Pro Football Network. Follow Cody at Cody Work NFL on Twitter. Uh, follow me at Sixer Academy on Twitter and Instagram for all things uh, football-related, training-related, and, of course, McChesney Unchained-related, DNBR Unchained. Related, uh, is the Twitter account for the show. Cody, thank you very much, brother, for all your time. Have a great day. Adam, thanks for producing the hell out of episode 94, the Alfred Williams episode, my favorite player of all time. Episode 95 comes to you next Tuesday after the Broncos, hopefully, hopefully, take an L this week so we can get to 4-12. and 12. That is McChesney Unchained. I'm your host, Matt McChesney. Peace.